All right, well, let's go to God's Word as today. We're in week number two in a three-part Christmas series called A Christmas Carol, How Not to Be Haunted by Your Past, Present, and Future. If you're new with us this morning inside your bulletin, you'll find a note sheet. It'll help you better follow along. What we're doing this year is we are using Charles Dickens' classic, A Christmas Carol, as a way of helping us kind of to get a, a fresh new perspective on the Christmas story found in the Bible. You know, when Dickens wrote A Christmas Carol back in 1848, his intention was to lead people to the importance of having Christmas in their life. Now, the opening scene of A Christmas Carol begins with a contrast between Ebenezer Scrooge and his nephew, Fred. Fred is full of life. He's full of Christmas joy, while old Ebenezer Scrooge is full of misery, greed, and plain old bah humbug. And so later that night, Scrooge is visited by the ghost of his dead business partner, Marley, who is now seen carrying around heavy chains throughout his eternity. And Marley has come to Scrooge with a very important message, and it's this. If he doesn't allow Christmas into his life, he too will spend eternity in chains just like him. And Marley goes on to tell him, hey, Scrooge, this night you're going to be visited by three ghosts, the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmas future. These three ghosts are sent to help Scrooge understand the need for Christmas in his life. And here's the, here's the bigger overall message of all these Christmas ghosts. If he doesn't allow Christmas in his life, he'll never be free from his past. He'll never be all that God wants him to be in, this, in the present. And he won't have any hope when it comes to his future in eternity. If Scrooge doesn't allow Christmas into his life, he too, just like Marley, will end up spending eternity in chains. Now, it's important that you understand, and I said this last week, it's important you understand that Christmas in a Christmas carol is meant to be synonymous with Christ. That was Dickens' intent in writing this story to lead people to that, to that conclusion, that what people need most is Christmas or Christ to help them with their past, present, and future. You see, what Dickens is trying to get us to understand through this fictional story is Christmas is a person. I don't know if you've ever thought about it. We think of Christmas as a holiday. Listen, Christmas is a person. You see, Christmas is Christ. It's about him and what he wants to do in and through our lives. And each of the ghosts in a Christmas carol, they're meant to teach us about the importance of having Christmas or Christ in our life. Now, we started this series last week with the ghost of Christmas past, and here's the lesson we learned. Christmas is about reclamation. If you remember from last week, Scrooge, after being reminded of his past, asked the ghost of Christmas past this question. He's, he's dealing with pain from looking at his past, and he looks at the ghost and says, what do you want from me? And the ghost says to him, what I want from you or with you is your reclamation. You see, the ghost of Christmas past reminds us that Jesus wants to redeem us from our past. He came to save sinners from their sin. He came to redeem the broken, the wounded, the mistreated, the forgotten about, those who have been broken by their past, even the Ebenezer Scrooges of this 
world. And we saw that truth last week when we studied the Christmas story out of Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew, what he did is he gave us Jesus's family tree and he purposefully drew our attention in that genealogical list to the knots in the family tree, to the ghosts from the past, as we put it last week, to the people from the Old Testament with a broken past whom God by his grace reclaimed and chose to put in the family tree of Jesus. See, those people and their stories teach us why God sent Jesus into this world. It was to reclaim people. It was to redeem them. And we talked about that in detail last week. And so the lesson of Christmas past is no matter who you are, no matter what you have done, what may have happened to you or has happened to you, God through Jesus wants to bring about reclamation in your life. He wants to redeem you and your story. How many are thankful for that? He wants to do that through Jesus. That's the lesson of the ghost of Christmas past. Now, if you missed last week, you can go to our Facebook, our website, our YouTube, and get caught up on that. Now, that brings us to today. We're going to talk about the ghost of Christmas present. And here's the lesson we learned from the ghost of Christmas present. God wants to bring Christmas to the world through us. That's the lesson. He wants to first work Christmas in us. So he can then bring Christmas through us to this world. And then next time we'll conclude this series with the ghost of Christmas future. And the lesson we're going to learn there is Christmas prepares us for our eternity. Well, let's further dig into the ghost of Christmas present. In a Christmas carol, the ghost of Christmas present takes Scrooge on a tour of his Christmas present. And if you remember the story, he, t he first takes him to Bob Cratchit's house, the clerk who works for him, and there Scrooge finds a poor family who is barely getting by. So poor are they that they're about to send their young son Peter into the workforce. That is something that Scrooge can hardly believe because the boy is so young. And then we also find out they have a sick, sick son named Tiny Tim who the ghost tells Scrooge will not be alive next Christmas unless this family gets much needed help. And if you understand the story properly, it's all an invitation for Scrooge to let Christmas work in him so that Christmas can work through him to bring about reclamation for Bob Cratchit and his family. The ghost then takes Scrooge to his nephew Fred's house where a Christmas party is happening. And Scrooge hears more about what other people think of him. It exposes him for the wretched, selfish, miserly man that he is. And what we find out is the reason that Christmas can't work through his life is because Scrooge wants to do things his own way. You see, he won't let Christmas into his life. You see, Christmas isn't the problem for Scrooge. He's the problem. Well, finally, the ghost then takes him to where the homeless live. And, and once again, he's confronted with an invitation that if he'll allow Christmas into his life, Christmas reclamation can be brought to the world through him. Well, we see this very same Christmas truth powerfully on display for us in the Christmas story found in the Bible. The story of how the Virgin Mary was used by God to bring Jesus 
to a lost world. Let's go to that story this morning, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Let's go ahead and read the story. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Now, Elizabeth is Mary's cousin, who is now six months pregnant in her old age with John the Baptist. That's the prophet that the Old Testament said would come to prepare the way for Jesus. So that's who we're talking about there. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary, asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Oh, get that in your spirit this morning. For no word of God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Well, I want you to understand as we begin this morning that Mary was not some kind of superwoman. In many religious circles around the world, Mary has been elevated to just short of being a god herself. In fact, many do consider her to be divine on some level, but truth be told, the the Bible never does that. Nowhere in the Bible are we told to worship Mary or pray to her or consider her as divine. She was just an ordinary, everyday Jewish girl who lived in a small, insignificant town with big faith that God was able to use to deliver Jesus to the world. So while she's not divine, what she is, though, is she's an example of faith that we can learn from. You see, a miracle took place within Mary 2,000 years ago. Think about this. By way of the Holy Spirit, Jesus was conceived in her, she carried him around as he grew inside of her, and she ended up, ended up delivering him to the world. It's an absolute amazing miracle of God. And when, it, when I read this story, here's what occurs to me when I look at what happened to Mary. The very same miracle that took place within Mary is the very same miracle that God wants to bring about in every one of our lives as well. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, God wants to get you pregnant? (laughs) Some of you are like, I ain't saying that. I know. What kind of church is this? I'm done, pastor. No way. Well, listen, I'm not talking physically. I'm talking spiritually. Spiritually. 
So, so, so think about this for a second. What happened in Mary is what God wants to do in all of our lives as well. You see, it's really the pattern of how the Christian life is designed to be lived out. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, God's desire is for his son's life to be conceived within us and grow within us so that we can then deliver him to the world through us. And how God delivers Jesus to the world through each of us is going to look uniquely different from one another. For Mary, it meant actually giving birth physically to Jesus. For me, it means being your pastor. I don't know what it's going to be for you. I don't know what God's going to tell you to do. I don't know what your calling is. I don't know what tasks, what dreams God wants you to run after. I don't know what direction shifts in your life that he's wanting you to make. I don't know what he's, who he's asking you to reach out to, what he wants you to do, what he's speaking to your heart about. But I do know without a doubt that God has plans for your life. And those plans... Somehow, some way, if you're a Christian, are you ready for this? Involve him wanting to bring Jesus into your life in order to bring Jesus through your life to the world. How does that happen? Well, we're going to learn from Mary how she ended up bringing Jesus to the world. Three things I want you to notice about Mary. First, in order for her to bring Jesus to the world, she had to trust the word of God. Okay, please listen to me about this truth, and you've got to get this down in your spirit. Anything that God does in your life always will start with his word. Always. Whether it's your salvation or how God works in and through your life, it will always start with a word from him, always. I want you to notice that's how it all started for Mary. And I want you to notice God knew exactly where to find Mary. Look at verse 26. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. You have to understand that Nazareth Nazareth was one of the smallest insignificant towns in the whole land of Israel. And I want you to know God knew exactly what was going on in Mary's life, where she was. The angel did not have to pull up Google Maps. The angel did not have to go house to house. God knew exactly where she was and everything about her. Look at verse 27. To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. God knew everything about Mary and sent the angel Gabriel to speak a specific word to her. Can I just say something this morning? God knows where you live. God knows exactly everything that is going on in your life. And and I know this, God wants to speak his word into your life. You say, well, that would be great. Why don't he just send an angel to me? (laughs) Well, he does send angels to you. He may not send an angel in the sense of, uh, of, the, of, of the angels that we think about in heaven that are serving his purposes. By the way, he still does that. In fact, you know what this says in Hebrews? Sometimes we entertain angels and don't even know it. But do you know what the word angel means in the Greek? It doesn't mean this being that has wings and flies around and rings bells. And... It just means messenger. 
That's all angel means. It's angelos in the, in the Greek. Do you understand God's got messengers all over this world? He's got pastors and he's got teachers and he's got authors and he's got musicians. He's got other brothers and sisters in Christ that, that have the word of God to speak into your life. This is why it's so important to come to church, to put yourself in position to hear the word of God spoken through one of his messengers. Listen, I believe God speaks to us way more than we realize. I don't think the question is whether or not God is speaking. The question is whether or not we're listening to his messengers. I want you to understand the power is not in the messenger. The power is in the word of God. The messenger, just the mailman. That's all I am. I am a professional mailman for the kingdom of God. I'm the delivery boy. That's it. The power is in the word of God. Don't ever forget that. Everybody say there is power in every word of God. Don't ever forget that. Here's the thing that I want you to understand, and I have it in your notes. Every word of God is a miracle in seed form. You say, what do you mean? Well, the miracle that took place within Mary, once again, it began with a word from God. Once again, verse 30, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you're to call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. This is how it all began with Mary. Do you understand? Jesus didn't just appear in Mary's womb and then God told her about it after the fact. No, the miracle began with a word for her. From the Lord. Conception took place when Mary received that word into her heart by faith. Please get this down. You have two options when God speaks his word into your life, and that's the difference between those who God can work in and through in powerful ways and those he can't. You can either receive God's word into your life or you can reject it. How many remember the parable of the, the soils? Remember the word of God being sown? And the condition of a person's heart is going to depend. Their ability to receive that word is going to depend on how much spiritual fruit they're able to bear. Remember that? And here's what I've learned about God's word. Sometimes you can reject God's word intentionally. How many know that's true? I ain't doing that, God. But sometimes we can reject God's word unintentionally because we're just too busy to apply it because we're not sold out enough, right? Remember the parable, uh, the, the seed that fell sometimes among the thorns, there was too much of the world there. The seed that fell on, on, the, on, on the shallow ground, right? Amen? Amen? Listen, when you reject the word of God, you rob yourself of the fruit that God wants to bring about in your life. You rob yourself of the miracle working power of God that wants to operate in your life. How many of you want the power of God to be operational in your life? How many of you want God to birth miracles in you and not only in you and through you? Then you must, please, you must, must, must pay attention to the messengers that God is sending in your life with the word of God for your life. Are you listening to the word of God. Everything that God wants to do in your life begins with his 
word. You're going to have to learn to trust it. Now, here's the, 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 the second thing I have in your notes under this point, and it's this. The difference between belief and faith is trust. You know, sometimes we get the idea that God just told Mary, and it automatically happened, as I've already said, but that, that's not how it happened. Do you understand Mary's faith was required for the miracle to take place? She had a choice in the matter. God did the miracle, but Mary's faith in allowing Jesus to come into her life is what opened the door for him to do it through her. Notice her response in verse 38. It's one of the, one of the greatest scripture verses I think you'll find in your Bible. Luke chapter 1, verse 38. What is her response to all this? I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your, what's the word? word. See that? May your word. Where does the miracles of God start with? With his word. Every word of God is a miracle in seed form. That if you'll take it and you'll plant it in your life, has the power to turn into something more than you could ever imagine. May your word to me be fulfilled, the angel said to her. What we find out is Mary's faith was evidenced by her trust in the word of God. It's trust that's a mark of genuine faith. Please understand that. It's not belief. You need more than belief for God to work miracles in and through your life. You need trust. See, a lot of people go to church week after work thinking that belief is enough, but, but never put their trust in the words of God. And as a result, I believe they miss out on the power of God operating in and through their lives. True faith is more than just belief. It involves trust. God wants his miracle working power to be at work in you, but you must learn to take him at his word and trust his word. So how did Mary end up bringing Jesus to the world? Well, number one, it all started with her trusting a word of God that was spoken into her life. I'm telling you, that's how all God's miracles will start in your life. Second, in order to bring Jesus to the world, she had to rely on the Holy Spirit's help. Now, here's the thing, here's the thing that, that I know about when the word of God comes into your life. And I think if you've been serving God long enough, you know it too. If you're a new Christian, you need to know this. A lot of times when God speaks his specific word into your life or what he wants to do in your life, it's very scary sometimes. It's intimidating you don't quite understand how and, 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 and why, and, 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 but God is speaking into your life. Well, Mary is very intimidated about this word of God because she doesn't have all the answers. She doesn't understand. Look what it says here, verse uh, 34. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Now, we know from history that according to Jewish custom, women in this culture would be married from anywhere from 13 to 17 years old. So this is a young girl. She, 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 is, she is anywhere in that age range, but she's old enough to know the birds and the bees. And she knows how this thing works. And you know what she's saying? Hey, last time I checked, you need two to tango. <laughs> and God, I haven't been with anybody. And look what the angel said. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. 
Please understand what the angel is telling Mary. Mary, it's not up to you alone to make it all happen. God is going to help you by way of the Holy Spirit. You just trust, you just obey, and the Holy Spirit will do what he does best. He will work it all out. He will grow Jesus in you so that you can bring Jesus to the world. Can I say, it works the same way for you and I as we walk through this world as Christians. You understand the Holy Spirit is our helper. At our salvation, the Bible tells us, the Holy Spirit comes to live with inside of us. And I want you to look what Jesus said, said in John 14 about the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian. And in, in, in its original context, Jesus is talking to his disciples here. He's getting ready to leave them. They're all upset. They don't understand why. And, and Jesus says, I'm going to send someone to help you. And I want you to understand, he, he's gonna, look, what, look what Jesus says to his disciples, because it's not only for them, but for everybody else that would believe in him after them. Jesus says this, and I will pray to the father and he will give you another, what's the word? Helper. helper. And he may, that he may abide with you forever. Now, who is the helper that's coming? The spirit of talking about the Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be what? What Jesus is saying is after my death and resurrection, oh, the Holy Spirit's with you guys now, but after my death and resurrection, when I, once I've paid the price for sins, the Holy Spirit is not only going to be with God's people, but he's now going to be in God's people. And that's what happens at your salvation. That's why spiritual things start to come alive on a different way. That's why when you became saved, people in your life are looking at you and thinking, thinking what's wrong with them? And, I don't, and they can't get what's going on in your life. It's because the Holy Spirit is now in your life. You're starting to understand the Bible in ways you haven't understood. You're starting to see life different. Why? Because you have a helper now. And, and, and the, the way the Holy Spirit helps us, he does many different things in our life. He teaches us. He reminds us of the word of God. He makes the word of God come alive. How many have ever been sitting in church and the word of God is going forth and your heart's just burning? It's the Holy Spirit that is making that word of God come alive to you. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit encourages us. He convicts us of sin. He gives us direction. He gives us discernment. I can go on and on. The thing that I want you to understand, no matter what you're going through this morning, if you have Jesus in your life, you are never alone because the Holy Spirit goes with you everywhere you go. You know what Jesus says? He's going to be your helper. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Some of you are going through some hard times this morning, and God wants to remind you that the Holy Spirit lives in you, and he's got a plan for you, and he's going to be your helper through this season of your life. I believe that's a specific word for some of you this morning. Listen, God's response to us in the Virgin Mary is this. You just trust my word and you rely on the help of the Holy Spirit. You just trust my word and you rely on the hope of the Holy Spirit. You just trust my word, even if you can't understand how it's going to come about, and you rely on my Holy Spirit to bring it about. And I'll accomplish, God says, everything I need to accomplish through you. God has a plan with Jesus in your life. Trust him, rely on him, keep focused on him. That is the key to it all. Can I just say this? And I know this world is difficult, but the Christian life is really not all that difficult. God has given us his word and he has given us his Holy Spirit. What more do we need? 
Trust his word and rely on the Holy Spirit. Everybody say that. Trust his word and rely on the Holy Spirit. Trust his word and rely on the Holy Spirit. Every day, trust his word, rely on the Holy Spirit. When you do that, you know what's going to happen? Jesus is going to grow inside of you. He's going to begin to change you from the inside out, so much so that you're not going to be able to contain it, and he's going to come out of you in, into the lost world that needs him. Amen? Amen? So she had to rely on the help of the Holy Spirit. Last thing, finally, she had to surrender her life to God's will. Oh, this is, this is the hard part. In case you think that was easy for her, it wasn't. And this is where we can get hung up in our Christian walk. This is where lots of people stop short when it comes to what God wants to do in and through their life. Listen, in order for her to bring Jesus to the world, she had to give up her plans for God's plans. And can I tell you, God's timing couldn't have been any worse from Mary's perspective. I want you to notice what we're told here in verse 26. It says, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth to a town in Galilee. Watch this detail. To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. Now, let me tell you what that means. That means Mary was right smack in the middle of getting married when the angel, angel Gabriel gave her this specific word from God. Now, if you've been with us recently, you'll remember this because we talked about it to some degree in our end times when we talked about the rapture of the church. In Jewish culture, marriage was more of a process than it was a one-day event. So for us, hey, when's the day? We have the day. It's kind of a one-day deal for us in our culture, but that's not how it went in Jewish culture. It was more of a process. So here's how it went. When a couple was to marry, the bride and groom would come together, say vows of commitment to one another one another, and then enter, enter into a one-year period of time called the betrothal period. And during that period of time, the husband would be off getting a place ready for him to bring his bride to make a home in, and usually that would involve the husband-to-be adding a room onto his father's house. And then after that betrothal period, when that place was ready, the last step in a Jewish marriage was for the wedding celebration itself. And that's when the bride and groom and their friends and family would gather for the wedding banquet. And it's there at the banquet, the bride and groom would go off in private and consummate the marriage. And once the marriage was consummated, the marriage process was complete. So when it says that Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, understand they were right in the middle step in the wedding process when the angel appeared to her, that one-year betrothal period. And that's going to be a huge problem because Mary is now going to be found with child out of wedlock if she says yes to God. In a culture, by the way, that wasn't very tolerant of that kind of thing. And Joseph wasn't the father. I mean, how in the world was she going to explain how she became pregnant? Who in the world's going to believe her? How many know when the word of God is spoken into your life sometimes, sometimes people just aren't going to get it? So let me get this straight, Mary. You're a virgin and you're pregnant? Wait a minute. Let me stop laughing. 
with the Son of God? That is such a great excuse. Where did you get that one? Can you think about how this conversation, we're not told, but how did this conversation go down with her parents? How many of you have daughters? Could you imagine your daughter saying, mom and dad, sit down. I, I, I need you not to be mad. And you're like, what is it? What is it? I need you not to be mad, but I am pregnant and there's no man involved. It's God's baby. What are you going to think? Well, we know what Joseph thought. Look what we're told in, in Matthew's account of Christmas story from Joseph's perspective. It says this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So understand, according to Jewish law, even though the marriage wasn't fully yet complete, they still had to get an official certificate of divorce at this point if they wanted to get out of it. They've already said their vows. And understand, punishment, according to the Jewish law, for being found with child out of wedlock was death. Do you remember the story when the woman was caught in the act of adultery in John chapter 8? And they brought her to Jesus. What did they want to do, Jesus to do? Pick up stones and what? Stone her. Well, Joseph has decided to divorce her quietly because he wants to protect her from that. Now you know why God chose a man like Joseph to be the earthly father of Jesus. He was a man of character, wasn't he? It wasn't until after the angel appeared to Joseph that he finally believed Mary's story. Do you know what stops the greatest miracles of God that he wants to bring about in our lives? Do you know what stops the power of God from working in our lives? Are you ready for this? A lack of surrender. Listen, it's not that we don't want God to work in our lives. I mean, listen, I have never met anybody that says, no, I don't want God to work in my life. Everybody wants God to work in their life. The problem is they want God to work in their life according to their will and their plan rather than God's will and God's plan and God's word. Let me just say something that you need to get down in your spirit. God's will will never contradict his written word. God will always work. Where does, where does the miracles of God start in our life? It always starts with the what? The word of God. The power of God is found in the word of God and in the ways of God. And what we find out is Mary's surrender set the stage for God to bring Jesus to the world through her. It changed her life forever. And it changed the world forever because she surrendered her life to Christmas. Jesus. And once again, look at her response. I am the Lord's what? Servant. That's so different than we think about, about God a lot of times, isn't it? Because truth be told, we're like, God, we need you to do this for us, and we need you to do that. 
and we need you to do this. And, and how are you thankful God does serve us? God does work in our life. He served us by sending his son Jesus, amen? But we often get to the point where we say, God, I need you to do this. And God's saying, no, 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 here's what I need. I need you to do this. I've already spoken this in my word. I need you to do this because this is where my power is gonna be able to operate in and through your life. So she says, I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her and the rest of the story is history. She trusted the word of God. And the Holy Spirit did exactly what he was said he was going to do. And she ended up bringing Jesus through her surrender to God's plan to a lost world. And aren't thankful because we now know Jesus because of it. We're saved because of, because of Jesus coming through her into this world. So let me sum this up in a different way. Let me put this point a little bit different for you, maybe a little bit easier to understand. Mary brought Christmas to the world through faith in the word of God with the help of the Holy Spirit. Do you know what that sounds a lot like? It sounds a lot like a Christmas carol, doesn't it? Scrooge was sent a word by the way of a messenger named Marley. And with the help of the ghosts or spirits, he was shown what needed to happen. And he ended up, if you read the rest of the story, he ended up surrendering his life to Christmas, which resulted in Christmas reclamation being brought to the world through what Christmas had done inside of him. That's exactly what God did in Mary's life. And it's exactly what God wants to do in each of our lives as well. But once again, it's not automatic. Our faith is going to be Stand with me. Did you do that? All over this room. I'm going to close with just some questions. I believe that the God who sent a messenger to Mary through the angel Gabriel is still speaking. And I don't know how he's been speaking into your life. I don't know what he's been speaking into your life. I just know this. He is speaking into your life. Some of us are intimidated by that. Some of us are afraid of what God is speaking into our life. And that's okay, but understand, God's got an invitation. With every word of God that he speaks into your life, it's an invitation for his power to be at work in your life. Every invitation is, every word is an invitation. And so, could it be that there are some things that God wants to do in your life that haven't come about yet, not because he can't do it, it's because you haven't trusted some things he's been saying to you. I, th I think that's the word for this morning, that, that what is God speaking to you? So let me ask you some question. Is there any word of God that you're not trusting in your life? It could be something big. It could be something so tiny and so small, but God is asking you to trust what he spoke in your life, but you haven't acted on it. You haven't put your faith in what he said. Is there any area of your life that you're refusing to surrender to God? Because if you are, you're clogging up his power from working in your life. Could it be? 
that your lack of faith is stopping the miracle that God wants to birth in your life. Listen, you don't have to understand it all. It's okay to be intimidated by what God is speaking to your life. All you need to do is trust his word and surrender to his will. And the Holy Spirit will take care of the rest. I just need to trust his word and surrender to his will. And the Holy Spirit will take care of the rest. I just need to trust his word and surrender to his will. And the Holy Spirit will take care of the rest. Some of you are struggling right now. And it isn't, it isn't, it isn't that there's, there's anything that you need to do. But the Lord's just saying, trust me. You're in some hard seasons of life. God wants you to know he hasn't given up on you. He has a plan for you. He hasn't abandoned you. You just keep trusting him. You just keep surrendering to him. You just keep relying on his word because no word of God will ever fail. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you're here this morning and there's an area in your life that you need to surrender to the Lord this morning. Remember, it could be something really big in our mind or it could be just something so small, something God asked you to do that you have yet to be acted on. And God is saying, will you surrender to that word in your life? Would you surrender? And so if you're here this morning, maybe you have never surrendered your life. Maybe you have been walking through your Christian life saying, I'm going to settle for 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 belief, but, but it's more than just belief. It, it, the difference between belief and faith is trust. Maybe you've never fully surrendered. This is the key. It's unlocking the power of God in operation in your life. And so, whatever it may be, would you just, as a way to the Lord and I'm saying, God, I surrender to you. Would you lift your hands to the Lord and say, God, I just surrender, Lord, these areas. I surrender my life. Lord, I pray that if there is any area in us that is not pleasing to you, that we're not listening to you about, that, Lord, we would understand the importance of receiving that word and we would understand the importance of surrendering to your word because, oh, Lord, we don't want to hinder anything that you want to do in and through us, Lord. We pray that just like you did with Mary, Lord, we, we say, Jesus, come into my life and have your word and you grow in my life that I would never be the same. Lord, I pray that today would begin the beginning, the, be the beginning of miracles in this place, that it would all begin as we take that seed and we begin to trust and rely in the name of Jesus. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I believe today is a new day for a lot of us, Lord. Lord, I pray, Lord, as we leave this place, that you would put a new joy in our heart, Lord, that, that even though the world may not understand what you're doing, that we would, Lord, that we would have the joy of having you working in us. And Lord, I pray that you would bring Jesus to the world through us. Lord, we love you and we give you thanks in the name of Jesus. Would you thank the Lord right now for what he's going to do in your life? Say, God, I don't know how you're going to do it, but you're going to do it. You're going to get me through. You're going to help me in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I'm going to ask our prayer partners that they go ahead and come. Guys, would you go ahead and come? If you're here this morning and you're struggling with anything in your life, we would love to pray over you this morning. So whether you need prayer, maybe it's somebody else that needs prayer in, in, in that you know of, that you want to ask God to work in, come on up. Let us pray with you. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, we would love to introduce you to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And so any of those areas, you can need prayer for anything, go ahead and come. We'll pray for you. The rest of you, God bless you. Have a great Sunday. Don't forget to get your pictures out at the picture booth. You all look beautiful. You don't look ugly, you look beautiful. We'll see you next week. Have a great Sunday.